0: I mean, I think that I had to learn how to accept myself for who I am. And I think that that's probably part of what I'm here to teach people because I grew up under the shadows of my father and of a lifestyle. So, you know, because people judged him, they automatically judged me, which made me act out or do things that probably was out of my character just because I wanted to gain acceptance. I think the biggest thing that I can tell someone is just be comfortable in your own skin and nobody's perfect. Like we're all going to make mistakes but you gotta just try to learn from those mistakes. And I think that I'm a living example of a person that definitely made some mistakes along the way, but um, I try to just get up and you know, evolve every time I, I fall down, I pick myself back up.
1: What are the three major events in your life that shape the person that you are today? This is going
0: to sound crazy, but my family getting arrested in 2000 in Arizona, Uh um, that definitely was a life-changing experience because I just had a child. Having my daughter was Uh life-changing, and um, for me, when I wrote my book, that to me was just like everything in my life came full circle, and I was finally able to talk about everything, even though I was on a reality show at the time. I really opened up about my experiences and, you know, things that I felt growing up and things that I've seen. So I would say
1: those are the three most life-changing experiences for me. Did you feel like before you wrote the book that you were walking around holding all of that stuff in, everything that happened with your father, with your uncle, with John Gotti, with the government? Like, were you walking around just like this, holding everything in, all those emotions? Yeah, it was something that I really never spoke about. You know,
0: I never really just let my side of the story out. It was always like I was living through other people. My mother was going through her moving to Arizona and then, you know, kind of like really coming to terms with that lifestyle and having to understand it. It still wasn't me really addressing like my feelings. So I think a lot of things that were happening in my life up until the point where I had my daughter, I was confused probably, and maybe angry and acting out. So I never really had my own identity, right? Then when I had a child, it's like, okay, now I have this beautiful creature in the world that I have to set an example for. And then like, right after that, we got arrested, my family in Arizona, which was in 2000 for the x case. And it was like, why did this happen? Right? So I had to dig down deep inside of myself and understand. I was still in the motions of survival. Like I'm a mom you know, I had to take care of my daughter, my brother got locked up, my daughter's father, my father, it was like, all this stuff was happening. So I don't think I was really understanding. I was just in survival mode, like going out and doing the things that I felt needed to be done to get me through this situation. And it wasn't until I really sat down and like, wrote my book, did I understand and really like, go back on an emotional level to connect to all the situations. It's like, you know, when things happen in your life, whether my father cooperated, it was like, okay, I just went on fast drive. I have to figure it out. I have to keep moving. And it was never, I really didn't sit back and understand who I was. So I think those certain events in my life made me understand a lifestyle my father chose, but it wasn't till you know, I really sat down and said, wait, Karen, who are you? And why did you make your mistakes? What happened in your life? What was your train of thought? What were you thinking?
1: And I read your book when it first came out, but I was kind of like thumbing through it the other day. And there was a part in there where you said when you were on Mob Wives, your dad, he was locked up at the time. And I guess you had a conversation with him about it. And you said he was supportive, but he wasn't really on board with the whole setup of the whole show. So what made this particular show different? Why was he on board to do this show and he didn't like the other show?
0: You know, Mob Wives, especially when it first, came out, it was like the first of its kind where we were just like mob wives, like we were actually saying the word. So I think he felt a lot of it. And I have to say now in retrospect, a lot of that show was based off of my father and who he was. And so it was the first time we were really addressing the issues publicly. And, Mm -hmm. you know, from him just watching it, it's like all the arguing and bickering on that show. Like, that's not really who I was as a person, right? Like as a mob daughter or my mother being a mob wife, like, life is just different. It's like more family oriented. And even though like the men in in our lives went out of the house, and they were criminals or whatever they chose to do outside the house, Mm -hmm. when you came home, it was like family oriented, right? So I don't think he liked a lot of the arguing and the fighting, like to him, it was petty. And you know, like he said, you're, you coming back to New York is such a bigger presence than you having to argue and fight with women on a show. Like you've taken life by the horns basically and like came back and it's like, you don't have to prove you're tough or, you know, but when you're caught up in a reality show and everybody has their opinion, it kind of fuels its own fire. So families of the mafia is a totally different direction. It's like, we're actually digging deep into the family and it's a multi-generational story. So, you know, my father is who he is and he's able to tell his story. His experiences has created some of my situations in my life. Where Mm -hmm. I'm telling my story. And now it's like, where does Karina take that? And that's the third generation. You know, I think this show particularly is relatable if you really sit down and watch it, because even though we have the mafia word attached to the show, it's really family struggles. And, you know, I think if you're sitting down, it's like, how, as a parent, do you raise your child to be better than you or, you know, not make the same mistakes? So I think this show is a lot more relatable. Yes, we talk about situations that maybe some people can't relate to because they haven't put in those positions to experience it. But the common thread through each family on the show is family.
1: Okay. And growing up because of the situation that you were in, like, what is your sense of right, wrong, good, bad? Because it's so interesting. Like your dad was your dad, Mm -hmm. right? But yet at the same time, this was what he did when he was out. So did it kind of make it where you see the world as just shades of gray? And it's hard, like, who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? What's a good thing to do? What's a bad thing to do?
0: You know, that's, that's a very interesting question that I think I'm still trying to figure out till this day. Okay. Because the way I grew up in, in the the neighborhoods and in the culture that I grew up in, right? The mob was looked at as like Hollywood movie stars, right? So mm-hmm. here's people praising them. I mean, you're from New York and you can understand, like you go to certain neighborhoods and these men are like God, right? It's like, they can't do no wrong. And so I never looked at my father as a bad guy. I never really sat down to understand what that was that he was doing when he was outside the house. Mm -hmm. So uh, yes, it's like, for me, I think to just basically have integrity and you know, just live your life. I mean, nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. And it's like how you deal with them. I mean, I try to be a good mother, a good role model for my daughter, I try to really do the best that I can. And I think that just makes you a good person, you know, if you're gonna screw
1: up, and it's learning from your mistakes. Well, I'll tell you what, my grandfather was in World War Two, right? And he was in the infantry division, part of his job was to basically be a sniper. I mean, he had to kill the enemy, and he had a lot of kills. Right. It's just so interesting because you look at these things and you say, okay, well, is it okay? I know this is a controversial question, but is it okay to kill a bad guy, right? Or is it just never okay to kill? How do you differentiate in life? Because so many times in life, you're forced into this position where you have to do something bad to do something good. Right. And obviously, like mafia takes it to an extreme. But these are philosophical questions that we can all kind of say, huh, because we're we're taught from a certain age, like these are the bad guys. These are the good guys. And sometimes Mm -hmm. things get a little complicated. Well, the lines get blurred. But I think the, the answer to that
0: coming from me, because I really wasn't a gangster in that life. Yeah, of course. All those men take an oath to a lifestyle that they understand, right? And they and they willingly join that. So it's, you agree to kill and you also understand that you can be killed. And all those men willingly take an oath to that lifestyle. Um, The way my father described it is one time he was a soldier and went to Vietnam and fought for his country. And when he joined the mob, he became a soldier to Cosa Nostra and fought for what he believed in does that make it right? Mm-hmm. You know, no, you know, I don't think yeah. killing people is the answer to anything, but no. the reality is that is what is um, required in those types of lifestyle. Like when he went yeah. to Vietnam, that was something that he understood. He was fighting for his country because he believed in it and protected it in the same way he believed in his oath and his life in Cosa Nostra, So Right. And it's like Not like they, you know, and I know this doesn't make it. I don't want to make this sound like it's just a cliche kind of thing. Like they don't kill innocent people, but that's not what they do. You know what I mean? Like, I always got the question like, oh, was your boyfriend scared to date you and stuff? And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, sure, as a father, if someone was being abusive towards me or whatever, he would give him the old dad talk. Like, I'm not going to accept that, but he's not going to go and try to take the person's life or something. You know what I mean? Right. Unless He was a threat to me. Then it's, you know, I think any father goes into that. Right. I mean, I think it's just like when these men make an oath, they become a, a soldier to Kosa
1: Right. So, okay. So I was used to growing up in New York. I knew that it was a very secretive thing. I knew that you would never penetrate and find out what it's like to witness a ceremony where somebody's getting made. You'd never know if somebody really, you know, even if the mafia like really existed, it was sort of this mystical thing because it was a secret now, all of a sudden, it's become a part of pop culture where you have, you know, people are willing to air their laundry on a reality show. And now it's just like so out in the open. I'm assuming that you're a producer on this show as well. Correct? Correct. Families of the Mafia. OK, so how did you convince these families, especially ones that are in witness protection, to come forward and be a part of a reality show?
0: You know, there, I, there's that old myth of what witness protection is, and um, they have their story of their experiences within the program and what they went through. Um mm-hmm. I didn't believe that if they were still in hiding, that they would personally come out and appear on a reality show. So it really didn't take much convincing. I think that sometimes people just feel like they want to tell their story for whatever reason. Um, as far as like, even the Catolos, I didn't have a personal relationship. Like I knew of the father, Wild Bill, he was an underboss. I knew of his story. I knew my father was Mm -hmm. close with him. But um, when we reached out to him and we just started talking, I just felt like, you know, if this is something that they want to do, here's the opportunity because they want to tell their experiences. It didn't take Mm -hmm. much convincing. Um, And like I said, there are so many people out there now that are doing it. It just kind of seems like, We're not telling mob secrets and ceremonies. On you know, I'm not doing that and showing you know people that don't want to tell their story. We're actually dealing with people that are at a place to where they want to be able to tell their stories for whatever reasons they want to tell it for.
1: Okay. And when you were a kid, did you and your brother have any type of relationship with the gaudy kids? Were you family friends, or did you really have not much to do with them?
0: Um, We, I didn't have much to do with them. You know,
1: I really like, there were times where we went to some
0: parties, and we were in the same place. I didn't really, like, have one-on-one experiences with them until our fathers got arrested in 1990, when we would go to the MCC in Lower Manhattan and visit. Mm -hmm. We would see each other on the visits and stuff. Is there bad blood to this day because of what happened? You know, I don't, I don't have bad blood. I'm not going to sit here and point the finger. And I say this to them. I think our fathers came in this as partners and they'll forever go out as partners. Like, yes, my father took the stand, but John Gotti put the whole entire mob on front street and, Mm -hmm. you know, drew attention. So he is part of the downfall in my eyes. And I look at the Gotti kids as if I would look at myself, like we all had these experiences. We all lost, right? So why hate each other? Like I don't, I don't have hatred in them. Like I kind of almost can sit back and understand, but you know, they don't like sometimes when I speak the truth and the Mm -hmm. truth is, you know, there were the Gotti tapes. My father heard them. John was going to betray my father. That is etched in history. That's that's not something that I'm just making up or spewing out there. I mean, there's been numerous FBI's that, you know, have told those stories that listen to the tapes. There are the Gotti tapes. So the reality is, you know, I'm not condoning what my father did and saying, oh, he cooperated, but I'm also not condoning what John did. You know, my father was extremely loyal to him, very loyal to him. And, you know, when it came time to go to trial and those tapes were presented as evidence and John was bashing my father on multiple tapes and my father said, listen, I have to defend myself. So I want to sever the case. I have to say you're lying on these tapes. And John's, you know, answer to that was, what will my public think? And basically, we're going to use those tapes in his defense. You kind of look at it as John was going to throw my father under the bus to do life in prison before my father took the stand and John got life in prison. So to me, the whole situation is just screwed up. And I just feel like there's been so many generations. Why have any more hatred? But I'm not going to sit back and not say the truth. So if they can't handle the truth, then that's on them if they feel some sort of way about me.
1: Okay. Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ball game. So I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water. I stir it up. I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning, and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole-foods sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot, and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1 is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ball game. So I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water. I stir it up. I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning, and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole- Foods- sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot. And it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1, is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And your daughter, I watched some episodes of season two, and it looks like your daughter is struggling with the fact that she really does not want to be in the shadow of right. this whole legacy. She just wants to be, I don't know if it's that she feels like I just want to be a normal person. I
0: mm-hmm. don't want to
1: be a Gravano or I want to have my own identity. What is it? You know, I think that she feels like this luggage has been
0: dragged. Right. And it comes to a point where people are always like, Oh, that's Karen's daughter or Sammy's granddaughter. And she wants to have her own identity and mm-hmm. build, path like karina has seen the downside of this lifestyle by visiting her father in prison her grandfather in prison and it's like she doesn't want that for herself in her life but she doesn't want to you know have to keep feeling like that's something that she should be molded like she should be looked at like that she's done so much with her life she's 22 years old she's in finance she's extremely successful so she's like when people talk about me i you know i get who my family is and i love them and embrace it but yeah that's about some of the things that I've done and worked to do at this point.
1: Okay. So you were talking about taking part in a documentary about your, what was it? The arrest for ecstasy that took place in 2000. You said okay. you were going to participate in a documentary because they're going to make it with or without you. And you want to be able to clear it up. What happens exactly? Did you ever take part in that documentary?
0: Yes, I did. I did take part in the documentary because I wanted to be able to, um, first of all, the whole in my opinion, title of the show is a misconception because it was narcos, the war on drugs and the mob and drugs. And when it pertains to my father, like he really wasn't involved in selling drugs. The ecstasy situation happened in Arizona and kind of Gerard and I kind of got involved with the wrong people. And my mm-hmm. father stepped in in a sense to where he was trying to protect us. It's a long story. And I do get yeah. into it in depth on families of the mafia. but you know, there was a lot of people that made careers off of, you know, making it look like my father was the big bad drug dealer, and sells newspapers that way, right? So reality is it happened. We don't deny that we didn't do anything wrong. But if the story is going to be put out there, I just wanted it to be put out in a way that I'm telling my version. Because to me, that's my truth. That's what I lived. I seen the
1: other side of it. Are people still trying to because I did read that part of your book, and the way you described it, it was like people were exploiting your family name. Living out in Arizona, I guess people thought there was there was some kind of glamour to it. They wanted to tell people they knew you. They wanted to tell people they knew your father. Uh, do you still deal with that, with that stuff to this day?
0: You know, I also think now it's brought more um, attention being on like a reality show and, you know, writing a book. So I think, you know, there are people that say they know us, or they grew up with us, or, you know, Mm -hmm. say that they know the story firsthand when they really don't. So yeah, I've Mm -hmm. experienced that still happening. But I don't think I would ever put myself in a position, which I hope not never again in life to ever put it to where I can hurt or jeopardize my family in some way. I think at that particular time when everything happened in in Arizona, we were just coming off of my father testifying in the Gotti case. And there was all, you know, when I lived here in New York, everybody turned on me. My closest friends whose father or grandfather or uncles were involved in that lifestyle were told not to hang out with me anymore. So when I moved to Arizona and these people had interests and it was cool, it's like I let my guard down and allowed these people to come into my world. And I think that's where I say, you know, those were life-changing experiences for me because I understand now why I did that. It was okay. you know young. You kind of care what people think. And growing up, it's like the bad guys are the guys that get respect. Mm-hmm. I come from in New York in right, right. I come from. So yeah. it's like, I just thought maybe if I was bad, I would regain that respect that I lost. And I was lost. I had to find myself. So that's important for me to tell the story because it's more than just, oh, we went out and we sold drugs. There's, there's like way more deeper to the story. I think that mm-hmm. has a message to where, you know, sometimes people find themselves off track. Oh, for sure. We mm-hmm. all do.
1: But I, I want to talk about, One of the things that's in this show that I found interesting and curious is that you are now, I don't know if you still are, but you are involved in a relationship with somebody who's currently incarcerated. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is something that we've all heard those stories of people who get married in prison and women who write to, to guys that are incarcerated and you always go, why? You know. (laughs) So that's, I have to just say why? (laughs) Xavier is someone who I knew
0: um, before he was incarcerated. We were friends, and then he went to prison, and we kind of just stayed in contact through the years. And when I was going through my experiences with the ecstasy stuff in Arizona, and I kind of seen where prosecutors will lie and people will change stories to mm-hmm. get more time. Like, listen, I'm not sitting here saying my father didn't do anything wrong, but for what he did in Arizona, he probably should have got five years. But because he's Sammy the Bull, he got 20 years. So mm-hmm. I started really looking into the case. And then when the law started to change while my father was in prison, um, there was this law that was put in place called the two point reduction. And my mm-hmm. father fell into that category to where he could come home early. So I started like just researching and um, the more I started researching, I started thinking about Xavier, like this is maybe something that can help him. And I started to really understand mass incarceration and the war on drugs and how Xavier kind of fit into that category. Cause growing up, like, The people I knew or the experiences that I went through were more like racketeering and mob related. It wasn't, you know, drugs and the war on drugs and mass incarceration. So I started reading cases and I just started to realize like there was such harsh prison sentences that were given to some of these individuals like life without parole, where other people who killed people were able to come home. So I reached out to Xavier and I just started working with him on the case and we just, like we just, I love him, you know what I mean? And I don't yeah. focus so much to say, oh, this is a relationship. We come home at night and, you know, write love poems to each other. No, like, I feel like I'm fighting for this man's life and okay. his integrity and the way he is as an individual allows me to love him. Like, yes, if he comes out of prison, I would be down in, um, what is it? <laughs> City hall getting married. Cause he's definitely somebody that okay. I love, but the reality is like, what's first up in front and center is fighting for his freedom.
1: Okay. But you don't feel like it's just like this ongoing state of martyrdom. Like you had to deal with all of this legal stuff surrounding your dad. And now you're dealing with a relationship where there's obviously feelings involved. And right. there's this other guy that's going through all that. You don't feel like a martyr.
0: I feel like I get yes. Sometimes I feel like I could get caught up in this cycle. And sometimes I have to sit back and be like, why? But I think some of my experiences led me to be this person. It's just so hard for me to walk away from someone that I truly care about and love while they're in that situation. And I can't help my feelings like I can't help that I fell in love with him. You know, we are very realistic about life. You know what I mean? And and if what if the outcomes aren't what we want it to be, you know, we'll make our adjustments. But right now, like the way the laws are changing and the climate in the courts, he should have been home last year. He should have been home in 2018 when the laws changed. But, you know, some people, there's this little gray area in the law where it's still discretionary with a judge. So you kind of have to find that vehicle to, you know, appeal to the judge to where she's going to want to change her opinion. So let's say he comes
1: home. What will he do that is above board?
0: Oh, I mean, he's taken probably every course imaginable to even being while he's in. Um, You know, I've also created a situation. I'm a producer now. Like I'm working on other shows. Mm I would like. work with me. I think that if I wasted, and, I, and I'll say wasted, I don't consider it wasting now. But if I put in all these years to fight for someone to come home, and they can't make the right decisions, then that would have been me wasting my time. So I will do everything within my power to make sure that that's not it. But I don't feel that with him. Like he's lost so much that he really just wants to come home and be normal.
1: Okay.
0: You realize what your mistakes, the consequences of what they are and how it not only just affects you, but the people that care about you and love you. Like he has children that are really counting on him coming
1: home. Do you still have a relationship with your cast members slash the the women from Mob Wives were, were you guys friends? Were you a tight knit circle of friends or was it just, it was just a job. And we fought for uh, six seasons, whether we were friends
0: or not friends. I'm only kidding. We, Yes, we all knew each other coming into that show. And I thought that's what made Mob Wives so unique is because we mm-hmm. all did have a history. We weren't just like put on set to not like each other or like each other over things that were happening in the current time. We had history. And um, I don't really, there's a few of them that I talk to. You know, the ones that I didn't get along with on the show, I don't speak to or have even seen since the show has ended. Ramona, she's my cousin. You know what I mean? She's someone
1: that's always going to be in my life. I talked to Carla, Marissa. So, okay. And what do you think of your dad's podcast and YouTube channel? (laughs) Are you a fan?
0: (laughs) I listen, I know my father. So I know the way he tells stories. And like I've heard these stories so many times through my life that I felt like he needed to tell it because he's so detailed when he's explaining it and the one thing about him whether you like him or you don't like him or you think that what he's saying is you know too much he's just gonna give it to you how it is so I I definitely support him in mm-hmm. it you know sometimes I'm always like oh what is he gonna say because <laughs> he's just you know a straight shooter and he's gonna give it to you how it, how it is but um no, I think it's interesting. I think the first episode of his podcast, like to me, it brought back a lot of emotions and the way he did it, it with, you know, not only just telling his story, but there was also, you know, the FBI agent who was on the case the whole time, the way he told it, because I never heard someone else's perspective of how it went down. So to okay. hear it together through the both of them was really, I think it was done amazing. and was very interesting to me.
1: He's a good storyteller. That he is. Yes. Like for real, I listen, I'll listen to it. I'll listen to his YouTube channel when I'm in the car Mm -hmm. and I get so engrossed in his stories. Like he goes into detail. Yeah, I know. know? And what's his line at the end? Adios motherfuckers. What does he say?
0: (laughs) One thing about my father is he's like very funny. I just had this conversation with him the other day because- my friend was telling me about one of his podcast things and he, he said that he pushed his grandmother down the stairs in a wheelchair, but he was joking. Like he was making... And he the guy is like, it was so funny the way he tells the story because he actually has you believing it. And then he laughs at the end. So I yeah. was like, you should definitely... Talk about things like because having a conversation with him outside of like just the mob stuff is like he's so um has such a in-depth perspective on just life. And like maybe it has a mob twist to it, but, but it's like very interesting to hear him talk or just be funny. So hopefully he'll start doing a lot more of those videos as well, adding to other stories just besides the mob stories.
1: Yeah, because it is a part of history. I mean, yes. it is, yeah. you know. Yeah. Speaking of which, if you could travel through time and go back in time to alter a famous historical event, and this is interesting asking you this because you were part of a famous historical event, but um, if you could go back in time and alter any famous historical event, where would you go and what would you attempt to change?
0: Oh my God, that's such a hard question. (laughs) You know, I, I think now at this particular time, I would say this whole... Pandemic, like to me, this is like something that I wish never happened, and I wish I could just change the last year of people's lives. Mm-hmm. Some people definitely evolved through it, but you know, I think we're still in a phase where we don't know. You know, there's so much confusion. And looking back now, I would say um, there are things that you know, if you would ask me this question a couple of years ago, maybe I would have changed what happened with my father and John Gotti, but that made me who I am. That's why I'm here today. You know. As far as anything else in history, it's just, you know, those are all things that happen that either make us progress in life or, you know, I think no matter what, even if it's a mistake, you have to progress one way or another. So okay, um, I would say this whole pandemic, because I think there's so many people that lost their lives and there's been like so much confusion yeah. and people don't have answers. So I don't know. I don't know if it's history yet, but someday it will be. But this is something I would want to change. Yeah.
1: So you'd get like, you'd fly to that, that lab in Wuhan and get in there yeah. and, and secure everything.
0: <laughs> like what happened? Like, why did this happen? And this, you know, you wake up every day and now they're saying, well, we're going to have to wear masks again. And, you know, I look at not just me, cause I, like we're older, but like, I remember when all this was going on and I remember just going out and there was like this little kid. And he kept pulling his mask down. He's probably like seven or eight. And his mom kept putting his mask on. He was like, why do I have to put it on? Yeah. You know, imagine the confusion for kids that, that age,
1: you know, it was sad. Yeah. Actually watching it. That's the part that sucks. Yeah. What do you think you came into this life as Karen Gravano to learn? And what do you think you came here to teach? I mean, I think that I had to learn
0: how to accept myself for who I am. And I think that that's probably part of what I'm here to teach people, because I grew up under the shadows of my father and of a lifestyle. So, you know, because people judged him, they automatically judged me, which made me act out or do things that probably was out of my character, just because I wanted to gain acceptance. And now stepping back being older, you know, I have a 22 year old daughter, and she has a lot of friends around her. And we call it like therapy sessions at Karen's house, because she brings all the girls over. And it's just like, I think the biggest thing that I can tell someone is just be comfortable in your own skin and nobody's perfect. Like we're all going to make mistakes, but you got to just try to learn from those mistakes. And I think that I'm a living example of um, a person that definitely made some mistakes along the way, but mm-hmm. um, I try to just get up and, you know, evolve every time I, I fall down, I pick myself back up. And whether that's to teach my daughter to be better or, you know, someone out there that I could just give a little bit of advice to. So I think it's a short answer. Cause I talk a lot. No,
1: it's <laughs> fine. I like short answer, <laughs> people
0: how to just, you know, be comfortable in their own skin.
1: What's next for you? Like, are you producing any new shows in addition to mm-hmm. families of the mafia? What are you working on? Um, I'm working on a couple of projects right now that I'm talking to
0: our team with. I just definitely want to build my daughter's building a beauty brand. So that's always been my love. I've been an esthetician for the last 22 years. So mm-hmm. working on projects with my daughter, as well as definitely develop some new shows. And um, I have a couple of people that I'm currently talking to that I think have amazing stories. And, you know, I think it would be great to follow them. And, you know, it's different. Some of them are different than the mafia because I don't want to also be like pigeonholed into like, that's all yeah. I can do is mafia stories. I feel like you know, in life, I've met so many amazing individuals just going through life that have amazing stories. I think everyone has a story. So. Oh, yeah. for Sure. That's why I love what I
1: do. That's why I do this. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So I want to thank you so much for giving me your time and trusting me with your story. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for reaching out. And yeah, I love um, being able to just talk. Obviously, I do a lot of it. to really talk to you. And I appreciate you taking the time, so. Of course, and best of luck with everything.
1: Thank you.